DevOps. All right, DevOps. Let's try, let's try this again, bro. I'm gonna do it at the same time. Three, two, one. DevOps. DevOps. Oh God, we've got to work on that. We do. We do. We suck. But hi, Brian. Good evening, what, Mickey. What coffee mug are you using today? Uh, we're back to what you've seen before. This is the Stitch Model Dash O3 Disney coffee cup. Uh, that's the one where if you're holding it correctly and drinking your coffee, you actually see Stitch on the inside looking at you. That is correct, and that is the way I'm holding it, just for you. Just for me, lovely listeners, just for me. Welcome, everybody. He's a giver. I am to DevOps FM. I'm Mickey Gousset, and with me is the incomparable Brian Randall. There you go. There you go. Yes, believe it or not, we are back in your feed within a week of the other one. Which isn't bad. Now, let's let's get back on the schedule. We are shooting towards Tuesdays as our recording night. However, I screwed it up. It's all yes, my fault. It is all your fault. So I just want you to let people know, give me a status report as well, because it's only been two days. So, yes. Yeah, so we're supposed to record Tuesday night. I had some dental stuff going on. So therefore, on Tuesday night when we were supposed to record, I was how hot like death. My jaw was frozen. Because my jaw was really big from the Novocaine and the pain. So we decided to put it off for a couple of days to let me recover so we could get back to my more dulcet tones. Now, if we were doing video and audio, it actually might have been funny because you would have had probably a very expressive face. Uh, maybe because every time I moved my jaw, I would have winced. I would have winced. So let me tell you about my week, Brian. How about that? Can I tell you about my week? I'd love to hear about your week. So I've been home again this week. So January is my week of being home or my month of being home before I start traveling again in February. So I've been home this week and I'm having my floors redone. So I have an older house, about 30 year old house. And so it's time to upgrade some of the things like the carpet that's really old and stuff. So I'm having tile put throughout the house. Which has worked out. It's, it's looking really pretty. They're going to be done tomorrow. And it looks really, really pretty. However, I had to take my four cats and put them in the basement. Because otherwise they would run out the door while the people were moving in and out of the door. Four cats. Four cats. I also have two dogs, but they got to stay upstairs. You've got a um, serious problem there. I do. I have a menagerie. But the cats are down here in the basement where I also record, so you may end up either seeing them run across the screen on the video and or hearing them meowing because they're a pain in the butt sometimes. So I've had all that going on, and then I've just had my general work and some personal stuff. I do audiobooks, so I had a couple of audiobooks drop, and I've been working on you know getting my YouTube back up. But the biggest thing that happened for me, Brian, is I finally got my Twitch account back. Tell tell the listeners and help me remember the pain and suffering you went through uh, hackers, a few days ago. Hackers are bad. Also, change your freaking passwords and don't use the same password in multiple places. I, I tell people the best things they're supposed to do. Unfortunately, I did not follow my own advice and I got burnt. 
because oh because i think what happened is one of the many you know you hear about all these places where they steal 250 million passwords and or user ids and passwords and whatnot and i think one of those i got burnt by that and so i ended up they ended up getting into my twitch account and they all they did was change the email address to be a bogus email address on my twitch account so it wasn't even one where they were going to try to do anything with it but Whenever you tried to reset your password, it would send the password reset link to the bogus email address that didn't exist. So ultimately, I had to open up a, a support number with Twitch. And the bad thing is it took five days before they got back in touch with me, which is five days where if the hacker, if my account had had a credit card or something tied to it, the hacker could have gone and been buying bits and other things on Twitch and could it could have been really, really bad. So... Well, I'm glad you got some results out of that, but you're now living proof of why we tell people to not reuse a password across services. Why do you use things like a password manager? Now, really quick, one thing that has come up related to this um, is two things. So I said real quick, one thing, but two things. Number one is password managers are awesome, but then we have in particular websites that won't let you paste. And that's been a, a point of consternation among some of the security professionals, and I know it ticks me off to no end. The other thing that comes up in this context is how often should you change your password? So if your password is complex and if it's not reused, it turns out that the recommendations today, the modern recommendations, are that you shouldn't change your password on a regular basis. Now, what I find funny is Microsoft says that, but then there's places where they make you changes. So I think we're still evolving as an industry on this. But honestly, if we just had nice humans, we wouldn't have this problem. But unfortunately, uh, you, Mickey's met some of them now uh, via his Twitch account. And what I've done is I'm using LastPass now, and I spent an entire Saturday afternoon going through, oh my gosh, I have too many accounts on too many websites apparently. But I've gone through and updated everything and set some strong passwords. Any place I could turn on two-factor authentication, I've turned on two-factor authentication. So I have, I'm going to try to live a more secure life. I'm proud of you. What about you, Brian? What's up with you? Well, uh, I, like you, have been home. Now, there was uh, a conference going on uh, this week that I wanted to go to, and I did have the FOMO, the fear of missing out. But I'm glad I chose to stay home uh, for a number of reasons. So I've been home. Uh, my children had Monday off, which was Martin Luther King Day here in the United States. And they also get next Monday off. So sometimes working at home has been a little challenging. Uh, the reason they have next Monday off, uh, the one coming up, is due to what is called a teacher in service day. Um, we have those two. Yeah. And different schools do it for different reasons. My son is having finals this week. And he's in high school. He's in 10th grade. My daughter, they have a different schedule, so she's just having regular schoolwork, but whatever. Um, but on the kind of the more fun part is I've been able to write uh, this month a lot of C-sharp code, doing some work on some projects. And, in fact, what's fun about that is I'm learning new features because I learned C-sharp when it first came out in the, the era of .NET 1.0, the first release. At the time, I was learning C-sharp as well as I was doing VB.net because I'd been a VB.com guy in the 90s. And then I got really involved in ALM, DevOps, and all the stuff that we've been doing. 
And so I kind of stepped back from writing code and teaching programming in particular. I used to teach, you know, how to, mm-hmm. to build apps. And so it's been interesting bringing my skills forward from some places that, you know, I obviously write code like .NET 2.0 style or .NET 3X style. So that's been fun. And one of the things I did was I got a copy. One second. I also write C Sharp 2.0 a lot. So I got a book called Programming C Sharp 8.0, Build Cloud, Web, and Desktop Applications. Now, I do... I will put a link in the show notes, but a couple things about this book. Number one is it's written by a good friend of mine, Mr. Ian Griffiths. from. I love Ian. Ian is awesome. Ian's awesome. Ian is super smart. Um, So um, I'm obviously biased because I've worked with Ian for years. Um, I generally enjoy his writing style. Um, and, but the book has got tons of wonderful gems. He did a full update, um, tell you these things have gotten wicked expensive you know i feel bad because i know how hard ian worked on it but you and i both have written books and so it's sad to know that when i look at the list price which no one should pay ever because <laughs> you go to amazon barnes and noble wherever you buy your books you should be paying less than sticker but it's 69.99 now granted it is a if I even count the index, it's about 777. No, he got 778 pages. Uh, and he had to cut chapters because he was getting to the point where the, the publisher was like, it's getting too big. Stop it. Make it smaller. Um, so I'm really proud of Ian that he got this book done because Ian uh, does a lot of you know work like the rest of us. He's not you know independently wealthy. He's not a royal. <laughs> and uh, he... Uh, he also has three lovely children um, and a, a lovely family that he tries to spend time with. So congratulations to Ian. Um, I think the book is wonderful, what I've read so far, um, and I look forward to finishing it. But those two things together, the new book, the working on C Sharp, has really made – I've had a good time at home. Um, and then, of course, then you, know, you do have these moments. So – uh, we'll talk more about this. I'm going to write up a blog post about it. And I've got a link to a GitHub issue. But one of the things I ran into is we've got a production app that I uh, build and maintain with uh, some people. And we wanted to update it from .NET Core 2.2, which is a short-term release, to .NET Core 3.1 and ASP.NET Core 3.1, which is what is called an LTS release, a long-term servicing release. Mm-hmm. And turns out, not a bunch of changes. There are a couple changes that we had to fix. And then we go to deploy it. Now, th- thank goodness for Azure DevOps, for pipelines, and for stage deployments where we have a dev uh, environment. We have a test environment. Then we have prod. Because what we thought was, I mean, we're talking just a few minor changes. Go to deploy it, and immediately we go to the Azure website in dev, and it's given a, a a 503. Just the thing is just dead as can be. It, and so we spent Ouch. time de- debugging. Yeah, and I've got to write some details because Ian and I actually got together uh, and we're uh, doing some debugging on it. And once we uh, figured out the problem, uh, the fix was ridiculously easy. And it's really sad that this is a problem. So I will post a link to the GitHub issue. I'll talk about it more after I write it up. Uh, in more detail, but that was one of those things that was fun, 
but made you kind of cranky because you're like, this shouldn't be hard. And this is the thing that really frustrates people, I think, sometimes with software development, right? Is you think, oh, this is going to be quick. You've got this schedule. You've got this timeline. We're going to get this done. And that's why you got to do you know, testing. This is why you have dev environments. This is why we don't just you know go for it because, boy, something small and simple can do that. So I've got a link to that. The other thing I've been dealing with that we'll talk about, uh, in particular, I think on next week's show would be a good place, is the fallout from the security update that we posted last week related to the certificate stuff. That's created some extra work for me, and it's had me involved in some incident management systems with, uh, with the customer and stuff there, so that'll be fun. And, uh, yeah, so probably like you, being home is great, but you and I kind of live the road warrior lifestyle. Hashtag road warrior. There you go. Hashtag what's in my bag. And I think you and I are going to have to share some of this stuff because it's about to become that time. I've got some consulting, some in-person training classes for a, pri- a customer, a private training class. And then you and I, baby, March 1st, in the desert, VS Live, Las Vegas. We are. And I highly encourage any of our listeners, as I said, I think I may have mentioned this on last week's podcast. You come find us in Vegas and you say you listen to the podcast and I'll shake your hand. Because I don't have a budget to really give you anything. (laughs) And we don't want this to be a, you know, only because you think you're going to get something. We do like to meet any of our happy listeners. Of course we do. You know what it's time for, Brian? The news. The news. The news. So we're going to spend the next eight hours talking about the impeachment. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we do have a couple of couple of of stories and links that we want to mention. Y- y'all can't see Brian, but he's laughing off camera with his mic. Oh man! All right, why don't you start us off? Because I think uh, there's some news about uh, Specflow. So yeah, so SpecFlow was something that I had never even heard of or dealt with until Brian asked me to step in at a VS Live and help with somebody's talk. And so the news, and again, links to all the stuff in the show notes, of course, is Tricentis acquires SpecFlow to support agile development at scale. At scale, scale. So SpecFlow is, is, is a solution that people use for BDD. Brian, do you know what BDD stands for? I do. Behavior Driven Development. And it is it is a widely used thing that is used for that. And apparently, Tricentis has, has acquired SpecFlow, and it's going to remain free, and there's going to be support for Azure DevOps extension for doing user story mapping. And in general, most people that have, have commented on this article have said that this overall looks like a really good thing have you used specflow at all brian i've played with it but i've never used it in anger and i think it's it falls in that category of infinite time i could play with infinite tools and explore infinite ways to build software but unfortunately no and i used it just for that talk and i'll be honest i have not really used it since and when i was using it for that talk i could see where it was potentially why people would like it and where it could potentially be helpful. But as far as, but I'll be honest in my year since doing that talk, I have yet to encounter spec flow in the wild. 
I know a few people that do it. I know um, Ian uh, uses it at the consulting company he works at in the UK, Engine. Um, so I do know people do use it. Okay. And the other news uh, article that I found that I just absolutely love is the Understanding Azure DevOps Variables, The Complete Guide by Adam Bertram. Now, if you've dealt with trying to deal with variables in pipelines, it can be one of the most frustrating things in some respects because sometimes you'll go to set a variable and for whatever reason it doesn't act, it doesn't transition over the way you think it should it doesn't you can't access it where you think you should be able to access it and Adams put together a really solid post explaining how variables work in Azure pipelines I didn't even know this post was out there I am ecstatic to see this this is fantastic it's very, very detailed. He talks about the pipeline environment, scripting environment, different ways you can uh, access variables. It's it's a really, really good post. And like I said, variables, they work really well, but it can sometimes be, you may not understand why you're, you're set a variable, but it didn't actually set. And it could be because you actually didn't set it correctly or it didn't, it doesn't transition the way you think it will. So I highly recommend if you're dealing with Azure pipelines or dealing with variables that you take, take a look at this article. That's awesome. That's pretty darn slick. I like that. I'm looking, I'm looking at it right now. This is great. Now, I put a couple in because one came up me doing some poking around related to a job I'm doing this week. Um, I'm helping a customer migrate from Azure DevOps Server on-premises, a.k.a. Team Foundations Server, a.k.a. TFS, a.k.a. Self-hosted. Self-hosted. Azure DevOps. Is that, is that self-hosted. I just want, I'm, I'm looking at Mickey like, wait. It's I not called on-prem. It's called yeah, self-hosted. Sorry. Self-hosted. In either case, in doing the migration, one of the steps you can do if you want to do a high-fidelity migration is you can do a export of your on-prem, excuse me, your self-host databases. I'm going to keep putting your slashes through all this. Self-hosted. And then uh, you can uh, upgrade, up, excuse me, upload it into Azure, and then it gets import, it, imported into Azure Dell services, and you're good to go. Um, the way you can do this, assuming your database isn't too large, and this is specifically your collection database, if you're curious, is it outputs a DAC pack. And DAC packs are a component you can use when doing database DevOps with SQL Server to help automate your deployments. I use it a lot with SSDT. In either case, I need to get a copy of the latest version because I needed to generate a DAC pack from a customer server. So I wasn't using one of my local machines that had Visual Studio installed. And most customers don't want you installing Visual Studio just randomly on their production servers for a command line tool. And of course, yep. Microsoft provides a downloadable version. But here was the cool thing about it. I knew they'd been working on this stuff for a while because, you know, crazy headlines, Microsoft loves Linux and Microsoft released SQL Server for Linux. Well, that meant that Microsoft would be working on porting some of the essential tools for doing database development with SQL Server to be cross-platform. So can you guess what I found? What did you find, Brian? Cross-platform SQL package. Rock on. 
yeah, so there's a link in the show notes. I'm really excited to see this. Um, so take a look at that. And then the other thing that just showed up in my Twitter feed today that I'm super excited about. So, Mickey, my yes, name is Brian. Brian. Hi, Brian. And I have a problem. I have a virtual machine problem. Now, those of you who know me know that I like VMs, and I usually like the hardware that goes with that. However, um, over the years, my primary virtualization platform has been Hyper-V for a variety of reasons. Um, But in either case, sometimes I want to use VMware. And one of the problems you'll have with modern VMware and modern Hyper-V is that they're both type 1 hypervisors. And the bottom line is they don't play well together. You can only have one active at a time on your system. And that leads to some frustration because there are a few things that I really like better in VMware. In particular, VMware Workstation has always handled USB and USB devices, whereas while Hyper-V toyed and teased us with some stuff in the server version and everything else, they just never got it. They just decided it wasn't what they were going to work on. So that means you're saying, if I understand you correctly, that if you want to use Hyper-V and VMware, then you've got to have two different physical boxes, one that's doing all your Hyper-V stuff and one that's doing your VMware stuff because they can't run at the same time. Correct. Or what a lot of people will do is you'll change your boot config and there's a way to turn Hyper-V off before you boot, but you have to reboot it. Of course, that's not very productive. Right. Okay. So I've got a link in the, the show notes, but VMware Workstation Tech Preview 20H1 is live. And that tech preview with VMware and Microsoft working together allows you to run VMware Workstation side-by-side with Hyper-V on Windows 10. And what that's going to do for you is open the doors to much more flexible virtualization experience. And one of the critical aspects there um, is, you know, the command line has had a big resurgence over the last few years, particularly in the Windows world, with the introduction of the Windows subsystem for Linux. Windows subsystem for Linux 1.0 did not require virtualization, but the new version 2.0, which is being released as part of the Windows 10 2004 update this year, Mm -hmm. um, which based on 2004 means April of 2020, uh, people are really going to want that. So it's nice that Microsoft and VMware get together because now you can have a much richer virtualization lifestyle on Windows 10. So I'm super excited about that news. Excellent. I'll be honest. I never really used VMware that much. I mostly you've always used Hyper-V for my virtualization. I've got a friend of mine, um, John Hahn, who, like you, has a problem. And he has a huge VMware uh, farm, basically, that he's running out of his his... Um, house that he uses for all kind of testing and he but he does a lot of um, system center and system center configuration manager so he's got to have all these different machines up so he can test out patches and stuff like that and I mean he it, it seems to work really well for him but for me I've always used Hyper-V and like my one machine that my server that I have at home is always just been Hyper-V yeah and you know to be clear we're talking about client side virtualization we're not talking about what's going on the server where there's esx 
uh, you know, from VMware, and then there's uh, Microsoft has Hyper-V Server, right? Or you can run Hyper the Hyper-V role on top of Windows Server. You know, we're just focused on this. How it's going to make a developer's life better, and I really dig that. Oh, and, okay, gotcha, gotcha, yes. gotcha. Cool. Okay, so you're saying I should look at VM now? Is VMware Workstation though? You still got to like? Is it going to be like something you can free download and use, or is it something you got to purchase? So VMware has a free uh, runtime product that I've never used because I've always felt it's been worth it to give them the money. So I buy the both versions for Windows and the one that runs on the Mac. And that's also another reason why I like it is I can have a VM that I use both on the Mac and then move to Windows very easily now and not have this hassle because, unfortunately, Hyper-V doesn't run on Mac OS. Um, and so that can be one of the, the painful things. But Brian... Do you even really need a VM anymore? Because can't you just do it with containers? Uh, no, because one of the fundamental issues with containers today, particularly Windows containers, is I don't get a GUI. I don't get that isolation. Now, there is a feature in Windows 10 called the Sandbox, but we'll save that for another talk. In fact, okay. I think we might want to talk about DevOps, virtualization, where do you use it, when do you not, and how does it fit in the world of containers? So I think we've found a show topic for a future day. I think we have. But we have a topic that we're going to talk about today because you and I, we at times sometimes maybe say yes too much. And so keeping organized and planning can be difficult. I, I agree with that. And I like to think that I'm well organized. Um, I honestly think that I just keep barely keep the chaos at bay. But that was kind of going to be the main topic of our show today is talking about some planning and organization and how we do personal planning, as well as I'll talk a little bit about how Microsoft is doing planning now with with OKRs and how, you know, maybe how we do not just personal planning, but larger project type planning as well. And just kind of, you know, throw out some different ideas of, of what we do. So you want to start or you want me to start, Brian? Why don't you start? I was just blabbing there at the end, so why don't you give me a break? Okay. So let's start off talking personal organization first. So I'm a huge fan of trying to find the best way to keep myself personally organized to where about every six months I usually will try something new. I'm always on the lookout for new ideas, new ways of doing things. So right now, my current way that I'm doing things is I use a bullet journal. So if you go to bulletjournal.com, a bullet journal is a way, a paper, it's pen to paper. So it's, it's syncing to paper, as Scott Hanselman says, sync to paper, which is a phrase I've always loved. And it's basically a physical journal. It's a moleskin journal where I just track my to-do list, what I've got to do that day, what I've got to do that week. And the beauty of the bullet journal is a very simplistic system um, that appeals to the way I like to take notes of just being able to like put a dot for it by your task. And then you cross through the dot if you've completed that task or you put a little slash through it to show you've moved that to the next month. And the bullet journal system has this whole general idea of how you set up the initial, um, your initial journal. But the beauty of it is you can take it in any direction you want to. So what I do is I have a weekly, I have a monthly spread, which is, uh, you know, which, and then I have a weekly spread. So these are the days of this week. And then for every day of that week, I have, these are the tasks that I want to try to accomplish that week. In my monthly spread, I had outlined 
these are the stuff I want to try to get done this month. And then at the end of every month, I will go, I will look and see what was accomplished, what wasn't, and move it over to the next month. And it's essentially just, you know, and this is something I refer to daily. Every evening before I go to bed, I, I check it. Every morning when I get up, I check it. So now, go ahead. so it's interesting because it will not talk about the way I do things, but I not heard of bullet journaling until last year. And it was actually uh, my buddy, Dustin Campbell, uh, who brought it up and showed me him and his wife doing it. In fact, what happened was I was at his house. Uh, he lives up in Redney, works at Microsoft and they had all these pens and these notebooks and stuff. And then I, they started showing me what they're doing and they had created this, uh, this kind of family experience of they went down, got the pins and did this stuff. He has a, a lovely family and, but him and his wife were doing it and his wife, Katie had done some amazing things and he was just getting started. And then the next time I saw him a couple of months later, uh, actually on campus, he had his journal and he had done some stuff. So I, I'm really intrigued by it. Uh, but you know, you said something interesting, the, the sync to paper. Do you find that not having a digital representation of your bullet journal is frustrating or difficult? So let me tell you the other things I use because I don't just use the bullet journal. Um, but, but speaking into what you said about Dustin real quick, I do make my journal. I also look at my journal as part of my meditation practice. So I do have different things where I am trying to be a little creative as, as, as far as how I draw things in my journal. But in addition to using my bullet journal, I still use OneNote. So I use OneNote, um, which is, there's a free version out there you can use if you don't have Office. Uh, I, I like the desktop version that comes with Office. And I use OneNote for taking notes at work, for tracking links, uh, tracking meeting notes. You know, I, I, I live in OneNote. I actually used OneNote as my bullet journal for a while. I did it digitally, but I found that I just like the writing stuff down just gives me that feeling of it gets it out of my head whereas just typing it into OneNote doesn't necessarily get it out of my head so i use OneNote. i use trello it's because i like the kanban board aspect of having to do doing and done so i'll make i have a a home projects trello board and a work projects trello board and i will have you know, cards that I move from to do, doing, and done, and such as I'm tracking all my conference talks. So all the different talks I'll be doing at VS Live this year, I'm tracking those so I know when I've got those finished. And I will take information from those, sync that to my paper. I'll take stuff from my paper, sync that back to, say, my Trello board. But I'll be honest with you, I still use Outlook. I still, even though I sync to paper, I still have to have that digital calendar. I have to have the reminder on my phone that reminds me, oh, you've got a meeting or something like that. So I use all of these different tools kind of in concert together to make things work. Make sense? It does. I mean, my general flow, just to tell you my general flow, every evening I spend about 10 minutes with my bullet journal and my Trello boards. I mark what, what I got done. I make a plan for what I want to try to do the next day. Every morning, I get up in the mornings, I do 10 minutes of meditation, I use the Headspace app. If you've not used the Headspace app, you should go check out the Headspace app, um, and it is just amazing. I'm on, I think I have almost 10,000 minutes of meditation through the Headspace app now, and I have um, meditated every day for almost 600 days in a row. 
That's amazing. So it, it's cool. It tracks all those kind of stats for you. Then I review my bullet journal, adjust anything as necessary. Daily, I check out my Trello boards in case I need to move stuff around. Obviously, I'm using OneNote and Outlook throughout the day. Every Sunday, I spend about an hour making my weekly layout for the next week. Every month, at the end of every month, I spend a couple of hours making my monthly layout for the next month so I can see what's coming on in the next month. And then I'm also using OKRs to track what I want to get done throughout this entire year, which we'll talk more about in a little bit. So ideally, though, and I know I'm talking a lot. I'll shut up here in a second. It's small steps. It's 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 you have to take small steps to figure out the methodology that works best for you. So that's why, like in a couple of months, I may change one thing, but I'm not just going to completely throw out my system and go to something new. So otherwise, but I do find this now that I've gotten to where I'm doing this bullet journal every day and every night, when I skip it for a couple of days, I, I feel lost. I feel stressed out because I have not planned like I think I should have planned. Interesting. Okay, so you're finding it a, a kind of a – it's, it's a become a habit for sure. It's definitely a habit, and it's, and it's a good habit. But that's the – you know, I use all of those different things, and it sounds like a lot, but if you think about it, it's really not that much that you're using. It's only using three or four different tools to try to track things. And at the end of the day, as as uh, there's a post out there by Scott Hanselman about syncing to paper, law, a post from several years ago. But that is the the number one way to to get things down to help you remember them is to write them down physically. I hear you. That's that's how I got started doing my type of organization was the list. In fact, I have boxes of old legal notepads and notebooks. When I first got married, I drove my wife nuts. She's all, "Why do you do that?" Because I would be doing it daily, and I found it it was mentally therapeutic uh, because. I could I can visualize what I write down, so I definitely am a fan of that. Um, although it was driving her nuts, and so I tried to pull back a little. You know, I did legal pads, notebooks. Um, I did moleskin. I still use them. In fact, I got one buried on my my desk here. Um, but I do like the the tactile experience. Um, I wanted to get into bullet journaling, but as usual, it's like oh my god, you know, one more thing uh, to do. Uh, when I first went digital, I actually got started with a program called Echo Pro, and this is uh, relates to how I like to organize it. It's, uh, it was a hierarchical organizational program. It was what uh, in the industry was called a PIM, a Personal Information Manager, um, and it had some pretty cool, innovative things. It was a 16-bit program, so that will date me in the program. Um, you know, like you, I gotta have Outlook. You know, I keep everything in email. I will send myself emails. I will use the flags features, the reminders feature, and I find those critical. Do you, do you use that at all? By the way, when you use email, do you send yourself email? I send myself email. So I will find. So what I've started doing lately is I have just like a little. I use the Notes app on my iPhone, and I'll write something down if I think about it. But sometimes I will send myself an email so that I will remember to see it in the morning. Now, I've never really used flags. I've never really dived into probably all the things that Outlook could do for me. But yes, I do send myself emails um, and to, to, to remind me to do things every once in a while. Well, and then, so it's funny about that is that I got a boost uh, to that mechanism. So 
Microsoft came out with an app called To Do. And when it first came out, it was, you know, this is the problem, right? There's a thousand and one digital applications, folks, right? We're just telling you what we use. There's no right way. That's it's definitely about finding your Zen for your personal. Now we're gonna talk bigger planning and you know, we'll talk about teams and DevOps more in a bit. But with this personal aspect, for the apps, I saw this come out and I just ignored it because I didn't need another separate app. However, it has one feature I love. You link it to your Outlook account, or your, in this case, my Office 365 account, and it has an option to find all your flagged emails. And it's out of Outlook, so it's kind of this more contextual switch, right? You talked about you know, using the bullet journal and how that's one way to visualize the information. And you, know, you mentioned having the Trello board as a kind of a, a, a different view on what you're doing in, in a different level. Right. And so I find this to-do app in concert with the way I tag things in Outlook works really well for me. And like you, you know, I couldn't function without my calendar on my phone, on my iPad, on my every machine, you know, and then in the browser, you got to have the calendar. Speaking of which, so do you sync your calendar? Obviously, I sync my calendar to my phone, but do you also do it to your iPad? Yes. Because I don't do it to my iPad. I'm just curious. Well, part of it has to do with the usage model. So, you know, number one, the phone, you know, because you know, the, the phone is the supercomputer in my pocket. So I, when I first saw, I use an iPhone and I've been using it since the the second one. So iPhone 3 or 3G, whatever it was. Um, I didn't get the first one because I thought it might be a fad. <laughs> <laughs> up, up until that point, I had been a loyal Windows phone user of various varieties um, some really bad ones too, but in either case, um, as well as don't forget the packs. remember those? Yep. <laughs> but, um, when I got the iPhone and really fell in love with the experience, I got one for my wife and she had been on just a regular flip phone. And the key was I had worked out a way by having her account password and stuff for us to share calendars, um, at the time. And so moving forward, she even has an Office 365 account. But when you have an iPhone account, you or an iPhone, you gotta have an iCloud account, blah, blah, blah. And so we, you know, my wife is busy and I like maintaining my body physically so that she doesn't want to cut off parts of it, like a head or an arm. Mm-hmm. So I don't mess with her phone too much because that's her primary computing device. So I've left her alone, and we're slowly getting her kind of on Office 365. But what I do is I use Outlook for me, but then I share my calendar to her, and so she can see it on just the regular calendar app on the phone. Now, you bring up the why about the iPad and the other stuff. Well, naturally, of course, I have Outlook on my computers, on my laptop. But the iPad is a great device when we sit down to go over schedules, right? Because it's kind of that tablet approach. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, and I tried, I tried the Surface and stuff, and just, you know, I'm sorry, the iPad is just you know, the instant on. You know, there's a new Surface X I've heard good things about, but, you know, I really have my iPad, so we'll be able to, I'll be able to pull my calendar there and do it there. So, yeah, I will sync it over there, but I don't do the reminders there, right? The, the reminders only show up on my phone to my, my desktop. Gotcha. Makes sense. Now, like you then, unfortunately, Echo Pro, while I could still make it work because I have VMs and I have technology. Uh, it's not an app that is uh, something I really can count on. And so when Microsoft introduced OneNote 
I was like, okay, I'll take a look at it. And OneNote is now ubiquitous. If I take a look at my main machine here, I have notebooks going back to 2008 on my system right now. So the way I work with, with OneNote is that I have a notebook per year. So with 2020 came, I created a brand new one. Then I have a variety of sections that I will copy and move to the new year. And so then... Can I stop you there for a second? Absolutely. So you're I saw saying, you, I saw so, you take, so you make your new notebook. So you have the 2019. So now you've created a 2020. So are you taking stuff from the 2019 and copying it to the 2020? Or are you just saying, oh, I had section A, B, and C in 2019. I'm going to create a brand new section A, B, and C in 2020 that's empty, and then I'm going to put stuff in it. Which one that's of those a, is it? It's a, that's a great question. I have a couple tabs that contain some, what I would call, that's labeled general is the section label. That has a variety of information on uh, you know, network configuration information at home, support uh, data, what to do when this happens at the house, that kind of stuff. That's my general tab. So I will move it forward from notebook to notebook. Uh, that is a move operation. Gotcha. Then, then what I do is I then create a new section that represents the current month. So we're in 2020. So I have a section entitled January. And then every day I create a new page for that day. And then each page starts with a to-do and a done section heading. And then I've been playing with some stuff. Once again, you got to try new things. I will often do a what's next, and I'll put that at the top. And here's what happens. I'll start my day, and I'll start with a few big things. And then I'll start sometimes as I'm on a call, I might expand it, and you know, I'm taking notes. And what will happen is, I'll kind of get lost in this large hierarchy. So then I'll take something and I move it up to what's next. And that's like, okay, what should I be doing next? When the what's next stack gets empty, then it's back to, okay, look at the big picture, look at your meetings, kind of that thing. So it's kind of my, uh, you know, people talk about the Pomodoro technique of doing blocks. So I'll use that mm -hmm. as a way to block a few things and just focus. Don't do anything else. Just do that one item at a time kind of approach. Um, so I'll do that. And then what happens, the second half of the, that section, because the section will get filled up one page per day, is I will send emails from uh, Outlook into OneNote. And so uh, things I want to follow up with. Or if something needs gets more detailed as I go through the day, it then gets its own page. So I've got kind of this compulsive way of doing it. But if you go back, you'll find I've been doing it since 2008. Um, and it, once again, it's works for me. Now, one thing I'll bring up because you and I, for example, use, uh, one note to share our podcast notes and I am somewhat, people have said I'm somewhat compulsive. Uh, Mickey's not saying anything. He's just smiling at least. I can neither confirm nor deny that Senator. Um, but I use OneNote in a fairly rigid, organized structure, right? My notes are hierarchical, this. And then you have these, these crazy people, these, <laughs> these lunatics that will just have stuff all over the place. And, no, I'm just kidding. Ben Day, though, is one of them. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you just stuff all over. It's like, oh, my God, how do you find things? Now, of course, you can because OneNote searches, supports you know, uh, drawing to text, all sorts of great stuff. But 
you know, it is funny that people, one note, I'll see them demo stuff and they'll be doing splotches all over the pages. And so that f- freaks me out. Um, so, yeah. So interesting enough, the way I do it is I have like a, I have a, a, a notebook for DevOps cat. And then I use like the, 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 the thing that's the, what's it called? The folder inside the folders, the sections, section groups, section groups. Okay. So, so you go, section. you like all the tabs you're into so those. I use section groups. And so like I have a 2019 section group and then I have a day for every th- every day in 2019 because I use it as a, as I'm working throughout the day, I'll say, oh, I did this, or I did this, or I did this because I'm old and I can't always remember when somebody asked me, what'd you do a couple of days ago? I, I have to go back and look. Well, well, I have something to say about that because it's interesting because I do use the what did I do yesterday thing because I go back because I'll move things into done. And I've gone back and forth. I don't have a, a consistent thing here. This is one of the few things that surprises even myself is some days, you know, I'll over plan. I want to do 50 things and I get 10 done. Okay. So what I do with those 40, sometimes I was copying them all over, but I'd leave the originals. And then sometimes I was cutting, taking it and just moving it forward. And I don't have a complete method to the madness, but what I do realize is moving the whole chunk over doesn't work. So I will only take the key things that I really felt should have got done, but I couldn't. So I move them to the top of the stack for tomorrow, and that's what kind of where I start the next okay. day. Um, the other thing I will do is when I know there's something that's going to have a combination of, say, a, a meeting – in the future, but then I also do some notes. I will start creating because I normally create the next day. Like I don't have, um, I have tomorrow created, but I don't have Saturday created. I don't have Sunday created. Okay, but I have the twenty fourth already right. created. I've already put some notes on there. But let's say I know that I need to do something next Wednesday. I will sometimes, depending if it's a like early morning, I might actually put it on t- create a Tuesday. I will put some notes there as well as whatever's on my calendar appointment. It's kind of that cover Brian's tookus approach. I'm with you. I'm with you. Makes sense. So okay. I find OneNote is pretty valuable. And then, of course, the thing that's great about it is I it works on my phone. It works on my tablet. It works just about everywhere. And I love that they are putting an investment back into the desktop, a.k.a. the Win32 version, which also there's a Win64 uh, version of OneNote, which currently... You have to install separately. It doesn't get installed with the latest Office 365 installed, but I'm excited to hear that they listen to it because I was upset. I should find the link to this. There's actually a long, mm, uh, a, a significant amount of feedback was given to the OneNote team on how they did not, people did not want the modern version. They wanted the classic one. Um, and I'm glad they're doing that. I'm with you because I've used the modern version, the one you can get through the Windows Store, and I've used the the classic version, the one that you get with Office. And overall, I just like the one that you get with Office better. Just personal preference. Yeah, absolutely. And I know some people are really happy with the one, and more power to you. Um, but I prefer the the desktop edition. So what else you got going on with your with your plan in here, Brian? Well, then we start getting into the bigger things, um, and you start thinking advanced plannings, and so for me, um, I often have things that I, like side projects, stuff like that. So I use Azure boards for that. I've been doing that for quite a while. I have a team project in uh, my personal org. 
And within that, I have monthly sprints. So I just use that as a way to uh, break things down. And I create PBIs for the big items, and I create tasks for anything larger than an hour. Uh, the bottom line is if it's going to be something quick, it, it just starts a OneNote. It's just when it starts showing up in OneNote a lot and I can't get it all done, then it moves to the that back. Because if it's important I get it done, then it gets done and ripped off that OneNote list. Okay. So you're basically using Azure Boards. I use Trello in a similar way that you use Azure Boards. Yeah. And uh, it's one of those things that Azure Boards frustrates me because it the mobile experience isn't excellent but what i like about it is i use the product every day so it keeps me comfortable with just some of the little little changes it'll make and i just feel more comfortable it keeps me up to speed on it um and there's some things i really do like about it for teams that i just like for myself so that's not bad um but you know there's not too much to say about how i do it there because it's it's just there it's backed up it's in the cloud it's nice right. i really wish i had a better you know iphone experience but you know say let me and then uh, the last thing I do for personal that I've gotten more into in the last six months is time tracking. So as a consultant, I'm lucky in that I typically don't work on jobs that require me to track hours, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but I found that there was this this hole in what did I do today, how much time did I spend on it, and you know it's one thing when you're on site with a customer because they I'm there for them, right? And so my days kind of split up during the day. I'm at the customer, and at night is my own time. So it's kind of very easy to split. But when I'm working on multiple projects, particularly when Project A, I work on it an hour, and then I'm blocked, and so I go to Project B, I kind of got to know how that splits up just from a, a budgeting perspective when we do jobs. And while I prefer time and material jobs hourly, oftentimes we would do these fixed big jobs. You know, you were doing that with me sometimes in the old days. Mm-hmm. So I started doing time tracking and when I had to before, I just used Excel. But that wasn't cutting it for me the last few months. So I've been using a program called Toggle, and it's actually a service. So T-O-G-G-L-E. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, they have a free version. Um, I'm using their next level up that you pay for because it gives me an, a few extra features. And I really like it. Uh, there's a free uh, mobile app for iPhone and Android. And uh, so I find it works fairly well. It's not perfect. Um, I'm also trying QuickBooks Online. Like a lot of small businesses, uh, I do all my accounting in QuickBooks, but maintaining the machine and keeping the books on there and doing the backups, even though it'll probably cost me more per year, the time I'll save is probably going to outweigh it. So I'm looking at QuickBooks Online, and they have a feature, once again, the version I'm paying for, which is a little bigger than the small version. Um, for doing timesheets and time tracking, because I don't need to be exotic about it. I just want to be able to know where my time is going. Right. The The downside to QuickBooks, though, is that's that's still going into my accounting system. And whereas with Toggle, I mix time I take to make sure I did my exercise, time uh, spent with my family. I'm trying to kind of break down what does my day look like, because I've been doing sleep tracking. I have that for the sleep time. So for the time I'm awake, I'm trying to figure out where do I spend all my time? So I'm really enjoying Toggle for that. So I think when it comes to planning, there's definitely a lot of my personality in the way I do it. Um, so, yeah. Toggle looks pretty sweet. I'm just checking out the website here, and it looks pretty interesting. I may have to, when I, when I decide to switch things up in a few months, I may have to give it a, I have to circle back with you to see how it's worked for you. 
yeah, t- definitely take a look. And you know, like I said, they have a free one. They have a trial if you want to try the more advanced features. Uh, but even just for a person of one, because I'm the only one using it right now, it, it works well. So the other thing we want to talk about from a planning perspective is, you know, we've talked about kind of how we do our our daily planning and a little bit of our our you know longer term planning, but I also want to talk a little bit about long term planning, and. I want to tell you a little bit about what we're doing here, what we started doing here at Microsoft and how I've started using that personally as well. So at Microsoft, we've started using what's called OKRs. So OKRs are the the real big buzz right now. OKR stands for Objective and Key Results. And it's a framework for defining and tracking your objectives and the key results that determine whether you have hit that objective or not. Now, the thing, the book that really drives all this is there is a book called Measure What Matters by John Doerr. And what you're doing here is you're defining an objective. And an objective is usually something that is your goal, but it's nebulous. It's not a specific, like an objective would be we want Azure pipelines to be loved by everybody. That's an objective. It wouldn't, and but the thing is, how do you measure that objective? Well, the way you measure an objective is by f- defining three to five key results. And a key result is something that's actually measurable, which is, you know, maybe it's we want 80% of Azure DevOps um, organizations to be have implemented at least one pipeline. That's a measurable goal. So what we do at Microsoft, um, and and I'm speaking more from the from the in the Azure DevOps, but it is being used broadly across Microsoft as well, is we define it on a quarterly basis the objectives and the key results, both at the high level of the Azure DevOps org, and then we break it down to where these are the key resu- the objectives and key results for pipelines, for boards, for artifacts. And then you can keep even breaking it down farther and farther. Now, the the interesting thing about objectives and key results is that in reality, you should only hit about 70% of your key results. If you hit all your key results for a particular objective, you didn't push hard enough. Now, I always find that interesting. It's kind of like the, the, the whole, how long is this going to take? And it's that whole, well... I think it's going to take this long, and if I'm too accurate, then people they you know, they think, oh, well, then you were just fudging me. So we got to, you know, how you know how do you deal with that? Well, the, but because we have you 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 define these every quarter, and at the end of every quarter, you have a a review where you review how did we do in the objectives and key results, and then you go with oh we didn't push hard enough, or oh we thought we were going to be awesome and look, we only hit 20% of the key results. So that factors in when we define the objectives and key results for the next quarter, we have to take that into account and maybe we change up how we're doing things a little bit. So, but yeah, I mean, there is, but there is no hard and fast rule. It's just, you know, but interesting enough, you know, and what people are basically saying is, well, all you're doing is basically saying, this is what we want to accomplish and this is how we're going to get there. That's been around for decades. You're right. It has been around for decades, but for whatever reason, this whole OKR way of doing it is really appealing to a lot of people. 
and it it's and everyone seems to buy into it. For example, I'm using this for my own personal planning as well. So I've actually broke it, created my personal 2020 OKRs. For example, one of my objectives is be the best Mickey I can be. And Mickey Incorporated, Mickey exactly, Limited. Exactly. So, and some of my key results, though, or how do I determine if I've hit that, is to get my weight below a certain number. I want to read 12 nonfiction books this year. So, and then I've, what I've done is taken my objectives and key results and I'm looking at them every quarter to see how, you know, what, how close I am to, to being able to achieve these things. I did this last year and I lost 25 pounds. So I'm, I'm very excited about my objectives and key results and I'm tracking them all in my bullet journal. So every day I go and read my objectives and key results that I've specified for the year, and then I look at the ones that I've specified for this quarter. So it sounds like one of the key things, too, with this is that you don't overdo it. You want to push yourself, but you don't overdo it in the overall number of things you're trying to do or track. Correct. Usually you have three to five objectives, and each objective has three to five key results. So if you're, in my opinion, it's better to err on the side of having less if when you're first going to get started. And at the end of the day, regardless of what kind of system you use to track your goals, you got to write them down. You have to have them actually written down, whether that's written by hand in your journal, whether that's typed into OneNote, it doesn't matter. But if you don't have them written down and you don't make some sort of plan for how you're going to get there, you will never achieve them. I have wasted years of my life finally coming to that realization that if I don't write this stuff down and actually make a plan, life is not just going to go, oh, you're in your 30s. Well, you're in your 40s. Um, here, you deserve this now. Nope, that doesn't happen. It's hard work. I used to put this off saying it's a waste of time. I'm not going to do all this planning stuff. I don't need it. This stuff's just going to fall, you know, in my 40s, in my 30s, and in my 40s, if I do a good job, stuff's just going to fall in my lap. And that doesn't happen, and I have wasted years because of that. It's funny you should bring that that particular item up. Um, I saw something come through today on the Internet, and I don't remember exactly where. But I took a screenshot of it, and uh, it's pretty apropos uh, based on what you're saying. And uh, basically, it's uh, the 12 effing rules for success. Um, and w- there's a couple of things in here that really hit home with there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of it says, you know, the last one is stop doing the same effing thing and hoping S will change. I'm trying to make this family friendly, by the way, folks. Understood. Um, and then, you know, what was, where's the other one? Um, well, I can, I'll just read it without swearing. So number one, do the effing work. Don't be lazy. Number two, stop effing waiting. It's time. Three, rely on yourself. The universe doesn't give a... Number four, be practical. Success is not a theory. Be productive early. Don't F around all day. Six, don't be a effing baby. Life's hard. Get on with it. Seven, don't hang out with F-wits. Eight, don't effing waste energy on stuff you can't control. Nine, stop BSing. It's effing embarrassing. 11. Stop being an 
sorry, that was 10. So this is 10. Stop being an effing people pleaser. It's sad. And 11 is stop putting toxic poo in your body. It's effing stupid. Um, so yeah, you know, I think that really, that resonated with me today. And so it's kind of funny considering our topic. Yep. And that's, I, I, I agree with all of that. I, I wish that I could go back to 30 year old Mickey and say, get yourself a little more organized, but you know what you, it, there's anybody can start getting more organized anytime they want to. doesn't matter how old you are. So speaking of old, what do you do, Brian? Oh, thanks, Mickey. I appreciate that transition. Yes, I am older than Mickey uh, by a couple of years. Uh, so for me, it's interesting. You know, I haven't done anything formal. And like you, I don't want to necessarily say regret, you know, but there are some things I could have done better that I wish I had done better in my 30s and 40s. Um, I've skimmed the OKR book, but I haven't been able to really put it in practice. So I'm really excited to have you talk about it and give me some insight to how you do it. Um, it's something that I've been looking at for teams. And, you know, it's funny because some of the things we talk about in agile practices and for DevOps and, you know, there's Lean, there's Kanban, Scrum, those don't always necessarily work. And you'll see people where they'll take, you know, personal Kanban or personal this. Obviously, you got to find what works. But for long term, I hadn't really adopted thing. Probably the biggest thing my wife and I have done over the years is we'll do kind of like, okay, what's our goals for the year? What's our three-year? What's our five? What are our 10-year plans? Kind of the big picture. And we're really seeing that come to bear with the children, right? My children are teenagers and how that's going to affect them. But then it's going to be like, okay, what's our, when they're gone, what's it going to look like? That kind of stuff. So it does become important to find some of that long-term planning that both is what your goals are and maybe, you know, how that affects things like finances and other things. But yeah, that's probably where I've kind of sucked comparatively, right? I've had this micro vision, very uh, tactically focused and, you know, the whole point of the OKRs is that more strategic focus and looking beyond that vision, really. And that's a great way to put it. The OKRs are more strategic, and I agree with you. I have been tactically focused for years, and therefore I don't think I have achieved as much as I could have achieved if I had had a broader vision in place. But we have had a lot of fun. Yes, we have. And we've gotten stuff done. It's not that we haven't gotten stuff done. I just, I, 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 I look back and go, oh, I see where had I made these couple of, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, Had I made these couple of changes or whatever, then, you know, things could be a little different. Well, and, and I think that's the big thing, right? It's, it's, it's always striving to improve. I'm, I think I've done a lot in my life. I just want to do more. I have a lot of demands of myself. And so being organized can help with that. Exactly. By the way, I'd like to tell all our listeners that um, when we originally talked about doing this episode, we actually thought we were going to talk about um, doing both how we or you know plan and stuff, and we're going to talk security because we didn't think we'd be able to fill up enough time talking about planning. And now that we're like over an hour into this thing, um, I, I would like to say I think we planned correctly for this episode. I, th- I think we did well. So uh, where can we find Mickey at? So if you want to find me, you can find me at my website, mickeygousset.com, or the best way probably is on Twitter, at mickey underscore gousset. Shoot me an email even, mickey.gousset at microsoft.com. What about you, Brian? Blog.brianrandall.com. Twitter, of course, is fantastic, at brianrandall. Or email brianr at ncwtech.com. 
All this information will be available in the show notes. You can always find us at devops.fm, as well as devops.fm on Twitter, and of course, email the show at devops.fm. And if you've got questions, comments, you want to hear more about something, you want us to dive into something in more detail, you just want to tell us, you know, get off the air, then feel free to send us an email or send us a tweet. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And with that, good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Post show. Post show. Post show. Post show. Post show. Okay. Right away. First things first. We're going to talk about a show that if you haven't seen, stop listening. We're going to talk about The Mandalorian. Okay. So that's the show about Jabba the Hutt, right? Stop it. Stop it. It's the show that's got baby Jabba the Hutt. Uh, he's not baby Yoda. It's the child. Doesn't matter. We call him Baby Yoda because it's more fun. And did you know that you can now go to Build a Bear and build your own Baby Yoda? It's not. You can't build a Baby Yoda because it's not Baby Yoda. Well, baby, you baby, can call it the child. I will call it Baby Yoda. Hey, the Tiki or Wiki or the. the I don't the, really care. Uh, you know what? I don't care what all these people say. If I want to call it Baby Yoda, I can call it Baby Yoda. It's my house. Stop it. Anyway. Uh, what we did was we waited till it finished, and then I got the entire family. Uh, so what happened was I got Disney Plus in advance and did the multi-year deal uh, that they made available to me. But I didn't watch it myself, and I didn't give it to the family. I saved it as kind of a stocking stuffer. And then we agreed as a family we would sit down and watch The Mandalorian together. And so we could have done a little sooner, but things were busy. So we then allocated time, and we spent – first we watched one episode at night <laughs> – then we had to skip a night because my daughter had something. So then it was like, oh, we had to watch two. And then when we got to the last two episodes, and if you've seen it, you know why. You've, you've just got to watch back-to-back. Thank God we didn't have to wait a week between the episode seven and episode eight. So so you had not seen it then before you went to see Rise of Skywalker. That is correct. Interesting. Because there's a, there's a, there's a little t- tie-in from from Mandalorian to Rise of Skywalker. Right, but they came, that that particular, if you're talking about the scene in episode seven where the child heals mm-hmm. the guy, right, well, those released, if you look at the title, it was very close to each other so that it would tie in. They didn't, for example, it didn't come out in episode one of the Mandalorian in November. No, but I'm just saying, but still the fact that you were not caught up to episode seven before you went to see Rise of Skywalker means that you didn't realize that the Force could heal bef- until... Because that was the big thing that people were saying is you should is they were t- they were basically that came out and then Rise of Skywalker came out. I thought it was like the same. Hold on, I because I re- I looked up this because uh, I, I saw Rise of Skywalker opening I see, night. I I watched it before opening night. You did so. Epi- yes. Episode seven, The Mandalorian release date. Okay, so that came out December eighteenth. Now, hold on. Let's go back and pull up the old calendar. Because I think you're smoking something. Just December 18th. Let's go back month. I had tickets to see Rise of Skywalker on the 19th. No, I saw it on the, the 19th. I saw it opening night. So it turns out, yes, if you watched Episode 7 on Wednesday the 18th, 
at, before you saw Rise of Skywalker, you got a little thing that you went, oh, I didn't know you could do that. And then, so for me, it was the reverse. Yes, I saw Ray do it first before I saw the child do it. Gotcha. But I did enjoy Mandalorian. I am looking forward to to the next season of it. I loved the Western style feel of it and the Western music. And I thought it was very well done. It apparently it cost like millions of dollars an episode to make. Well, I believe it. There's an interesting discussion that one of the wonkity wonk execs came to the to the show and i guess i had not heard this and i'll have to dig it up for the show and find it for the show notes i forgot what it's called exactly but ilm has developed this technology where they project the scenery onto big screens they're high resolution i mean it's like really high resolution it looks real if you're not aware and it's so that the actors don't have to act to a green screen they're actually acting interesting to the what looks like the horizon or whatever it is so it's kind of like in the old uh movies where they'd film on a soundstage they have a big giant painting and the the horse would ride but then they'd have to go right because always they'd hit the wall right well it's like that and there i googled it um and found a link and it showed a picture from rise of skywalker where the it's they've they've modeled the cockpit of the millennium falcon and in front is a big screen playing the hyperspace. So when the actors are looking, they get to see what they we later feel see. feel like as they're going. Okay. Exactly. Um, and so that, I guess, had a lot of impact on it. But, you know, some people, you know, it's funny because my wife, she would she'd go, well, because I, first I made a rule, especially with the first episode, don't ask me questions. I don't know anything. Right. I told my, my family. So we watched it, and then people had questions about things. And one of the big questions that came up that I then did some research later on that people don't, we don't have an answer for is, how does that little tracker know? In other words, is it a DNA signature? Is there something embedded? Don't worry about it. It's never explained. Right. Well, but once again, this is the the family. And so we had those kind of discussions here and there. And But for me... I enjoyed every episode, whether it moved the arc. And it reminds me of X-Files. So if you ever watched the X-Files when it was out, you would have what were called mythology episodes that would work through a season. And then you just had the standalone episodes. Monster of the Week. Monster of the Week, yes. And I loved the way they did the Mandalorian. So like the prison ship one, right? That really didn't move the story forward, but it was fun to watch the, the the episode and watch them blow up the people and stuff so bottom line super happy i'm a long-term uh huge boba fett mandalorian fan i have an old one of the original comics where they talked about the mandalorians and obviously they've changed the canon to a certain degree um in my office um mickey's seen it i have a three-foot boba fett uh, uh sculpture or not sculpture what do you call it um it's a giant action figure, action but, it's, figure. but it's a giant one it's really oh. really expensive unfortunately the wife told me that if i bought the five thousand dollar full size version um from sideshow collectibles she would probably light it on fire and me uh so yeah <laughs> so what else are you watching besides mandalorian well so tonight is a special night well, actually, it was out today, and I had to stop myself from watching it on my iPad. But Picard came out today. I, 
I want to see it, but not enough to where I'm willing to buy a CBS Now. Uh, well, I did the trial. I've got a week long trial, and but you only get the one episode, right? I mean, well, there's, I've got a plan. If I love it, I'll keep it because not only that, I can watch the other old Star Wars, uh, Star Trek shows. There's other stuff. There's plenty of stuff for me to watch for a while to enjoy it. Now, if I don't go, oh, it's not worth it. Well, there's if you have an iPhone and you can subscribe one way and then you can subscribe another way later and get the free trial again. Now, I did notice I have in my email a last chance for a free month of CBS Now. So, a free month? I may, yeah. Looks like looks like CBS All Access. Last chance for get one month free oh resubscribe because I, I subscribed for a free month last summer so i could watch discovery and then i they then give I you a free canceled. month they're only giving a free week now so i'm i'm but i'm i mean i'm a star trek fan i like next generation i like picard i'll be i want to see i'm gonna wait and see what some of the reviews and stuff are like and then i will decide whether i want to watch it what did you think of it have you watched I it yet? i haven't had a chance to watch it oh, we're okay. done with our podcast I'm going to go find the missus, and we are going to have an intimate evening with Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Well, the couple of things that I've been watching is I watched The Watchmen on HBO, so the, the series. So well, no wonder you have no money. If you're, if you're paying for HBO, then... And, and I, thought the, the, I thought it was really, really well done. I've always enjoyed the comic. I actually liked the movie, even though the movie kind of uh, diverged from the comic some. But The Watchmen is a really great series. And the other thing I've been watching is another series on HBO called His Dark Materials. Now, there was a it's there was a movie that came out in the 2000s called The Golden Compass. It's a series of books. And The Golden Compass movie was really, really bad. I mean, it was really, really really bad. bad. Okay. Um, But His Dark Materials is based on the same source material. It is amazing. Now you got to get past the first couple of episodes. First couple of episodes are slow, but after that, um, it's I, I I think it's gotten really really good, and it's got some really good actors in it. And the the little girl that is the lead actress is just does a great job. She was the little girl in Logan, so if you remember Logan, yes, and really, she was Logan's daughter. Oh, fantastic! So you're the second person to mention this to me. A friend of the family told me this just before Christmas, and she said she enjoyed. She thought my son Brett would enjoy it as well. So uh, you're the, I'll have to add that to the list. Now the thing is, you talk about what I'm watching. I've got a laundry list of things I want to watch. Oh, me too. But me too. A good a good example is uh, I haven't watched that little series that was on HBO where there were dragons and a bunch of buck naked people. Um, so, you know, I, I have no lack of things to watch, but if there's very few things that are, I'm actually making time for. So Picard will be the next thing on that list. Okay. Well, we will report back here next week on what Brian thinks of Picard. Absolutely. Well, Mickey, I'm going to go try and watch Picard, and I know it's getting a little late your time. So, uh, hey, thanks for making the toe. All right. Let's wrap it up. Wrap we'll it up. see y'all next week. On... DevOps FM. Blah. <laughs>
Yeah, baby. <laughs>